0: If we're honest, we always have a timetable on how long we're willing to suffer. And it makes sense. Because suffering is hard. It is painful. It costs us. And none of us want to endure that for an unknown length of time. But so often, that's precisely what happens. That the suffering goes on longer than we would have ever expected. What do we do when we're invited into long suffering? Now, long-suffering is a word that we don't hear as often, and it is usually interchanged with the word patience, but patience doesn't quite capture it. We may feel patient in a situation, but long-suffering can feel like it's asking too much. Patience evokes the idea of waiting a little longer than we'd like. Long-suffering evokes the reality of enduring beyond what we thought we would need to. But long-suffering is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a capacity that actually is beyond us, and that exists to produce something beyond us as well. Diana's story captures this well, and you'll notice that there's less conversation than usual. I believe that's in part because God wanted us to really press into this idea of long-suffering, to sit with Diana's story, to wonder how long does she have to endure this? How long does she have to experience hardship? When will things work out for her? We do get the answers to those questions. But I believe that God wants us to sit with this idea of long-suffering for a reason. Because he wants us to know when we're invited into it, we do not go into it alone. You're listening to episode 121 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, we just thank you that you are God and you are good. And we thank you for the privilege of just being able to talk about you, to be able to sit and process together who you are. And we thank you that you can guide this conversation, even if files are missing, if time zones are mixing things up, you knew this conversation would happen and you know where this conversation needs to go. And so we give it to you give you our words and our thoughts. We entrust them to you because we know you can do abundantly more with them. And we thank you in advance for how you are going to work through this conversation, even in ways that we might not expect. All this we pray in the most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Diane, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I know bits and pieces of your story, and I have no idea what God may bring about. But before we get going, what would you want people to know about who you are before we start our conversation?
1: How much time do you have? (laughs) Well, the short story would be I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm a survivor of abuse. I'm an abuse advocate. I'm a host of the podcast, The Wounds of the Faithful. And most of my darkest times, my suffering has been to my ex-husband of 13 years and Right now, I'm also going through another transition of life, another period of suffering. My husband has been sick for the last two years, Mm. and I'm going through some trials with work and trials with my own health. So God brings us through a few seasons.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even in just that. There's a lot of directions that this conversation could go. (laughs) And one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is we were talking about the rabbit trails, but also how part of us praying at the start was inviting God to take it wherever. So right now, I really believe that God's going to guide your heart in the direction the story needs to go. So Diana, tell me a story.
1: Well, I will start with the Reader's Digest version of my story. (laughs) I think the darkest period of my life was when I was married to my now ex-husband, and we met in church. I was singing a solo in church, and he came up and asked to be introduced to me, and he told me, hey, you got a really great voice, and you should record an album. Hmm. And then he asked, can I come down to your college and cook you dinner, and we can talk about music? And so we started dating. The abuse started when we were dating, but I had no idea what some of the red flags even meant. Hmm. He had a really bad temper amid swings, which I thought was just part of being Italian. He came from a really great family, a Catholic family. If you've ever watched my big fat Greek wedding, that would probably <laughs> describe my former in-laws very loving. And so I was very attracted to that sort of a family, a big community. And we got engaged. And I was in Bible college at the time, and he decided to come down and he decided to go to Bible college as well. And he said, I think I want to be a missionary and a preacher. He knew that I did not want to marry anybody who was not going to go into the ministry because I was called to go into the ministry. I had been saved when I was 13 in vacation Bible school from my cousin leading me to the Lord. Mm I wasn't baptized until I was 18 because being raised Catholic, my parents did not want me to go to any other church except the Catholic Church, and so it wasn't until 18 that I got baptized, and the following year, I was at a mission conference at my church and was called into the ministry at that time, and so that's when I enrolled in Bible college. I don't know his heart, but I think that because I said that I wanted to marry a preacher or somebody that wanted to be a missionary, that may have influenced his decision. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he enrolled in school. We got married. Let's see. We were on our winter break in my senior year of college. Mm -hmm. He was in his first year. And in the honeymoon, I realized I had made a mistake because in the honeymoon, There was the emotional and the verbal abuse and putting me down. And, you know, you look forward to your honeymoon. And we waited till we got married to be intimate. And he did not want to be intimate on our honeymoon. Hmm. He was using sex as a weapon against me. And, yeah, I don't want to get too graphic, Hmm. but that was kind of, you know, something people look forward to. And we had gotten this huge fight in this bed and breakfast He got up and he left the bed and breakfast. And I'm left behind crying like, what just happened? I didn't know if he was going to come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he did eventually come back. And while I was sitting there waiting, well, I did make a mistake in marrying this man. I already know this. But I made a vow. I said, Lord, maybe I didn't see the red flags that my mother and my sister pointed out to me. Maybe I wasn't listening. Maybe I was excited about getting married. I was excited about going into the ministry. When I'm going to you know, make lemonade out of lemons, I am going to be the best wife that I can. And you know, I was praying that it was going to get better. Mm. We went back home to our apartment. Yeah, things did not change. They got worse. And the denomination that I was with was very controlling, especially towards women. Women only had a certain role, which was bearing children and obeying your husband. That was it. You did not have an opinion. You did not have your own voice. Your identity was in your husband. And so here I am trying to be a good wife and dealing with my husband's verbal abuse towards me and lack of intimacy. That didn't change. I graduated from Bible College. That was a big deal for me because it was very, very challenging. Mm I had gone through some trials when I was in school. I was unemployed at one point. I was living in different people's homes in church because I did not live anywhere near where my parents lived. So I had gone through a lot of trials even before meeting my husband. And so that was a big deal for me. Then that's when we started going out and starting churches. We started doing stateside church planting. When you hear the word missionary, you think of going to a foreign country and living in a mud hut and living off the land and learning a new language. That was not our path, although we considered it. My husband did not want to learn a new language. He did not want to go overseas. He did not want to do what we call deputation. That means you're going from church to church raising support. Mm -hmm. He did not want to go through a missions board, which has quite a bit of power. And so we decided to do stateside, which means starting churches right here in our local community in the United States. One of my Bible teachers in college decided to start a church a couple towns over. And so my husband said, I believe that we should go and help start the church with Dr. Mike. We did that quite a few times. We started several churches with others in Virginia, and then we were in New Jersey on vacation. And of course, when you're on vacation, you find a church to go to on Sunday. And we went to this one church in New Jersey, and they were very, very small inner city church. And the pastor said they needed a youth minister. My husband decided we were going to move from Virginia to New Jersey and become this youth minister. Mm-hmm. And we helped them also to build a new building to expand. That was pretty challenging as far as church planning goes. Like I said, the denomination was extremely controlling. A lot of spiritual abuse went on in that environment. Mm-hmm. They try to be the Holy Spirit for you, they tell you what you can and cannot do. You can't have a TV. You can't wear this kind of clothing. You can't wear pants as a woman. You can't go to movies. You can't. There's a whole list of can'ts, mm-hmm. which many of them were not scriptural. It's really hard to describe if you've never been in that environment where the pastor is the boss. God isn't the boss. The pastor's the boss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was a lot of suffering going on in that church. We were bivocational because, you know, the admissions doesn't pay very much. <laughs> so we both had jobs. And women weren't supposed to work outside the home, but we didn't have any children. So I worked a job too, which the church didn't like. And so my husband did not like his job. It was very stressful. And the town that we lived in was three square miles. We could walk to the church Mm -hmm. and there was no privacy. So the landlord lived next door to us. And (laughs) if you missed church for any reason whatsoever, they would become looking in the doors. You know, knocking on the doors, looking in windows. Why didn't you come to church? We didn't have any privacy. I was having some health problems. He was having health problems. And a really, really bad event that happened was my husband and I, we went to his doctor for his health check. And his doctor told him, you need to lose some weight. You need to be on this diet. Then we went home and I had baked two pies. And I gave him a piece of dessert after dinner, and he said, I want another piece of pie. I said, well, you know, you probably shouldn't have had the first piece of pie, but you really shouldn't have a second piece of pie. And he pretty much flipped out, and he said, I'm going to go upstairs and shoot myself because I have nothing to live for. Now, we had guns in the house, and he was trained in using firearms but he had never done something like threatening suicide. I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs, and I said to myself, should I go up after him? (laughs) And this all happened within maybe a few seconds. Mm -hmm. I'm asking God, you know, God, is he bluffing? Should I go up there? What's going to happen? Is he going to pull the gun on me? Mm -hmm. Maybe I should just let this play out. And that sounds really horrible to say. Maybe things will work out on its own, and I won't have a situation that I'm in right now. But I heard the Lord say to me, you know, you should never ignore a suicide attempt. Somebody says they're going to kill themselves. You don't ever ignore that. I'd like to say they gave you training in Bible college, but they don't. (laughs) There's no mental health services in the church that I was at. Depression is a sin anxiety is a sin, suicidal thoughts are a sin. The Lord told me to go up those stairs. So I walked down the long hallway and I went in there and sure enough, there he was with the gun to his head. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, what's going on here? Let's talk about this. What's going on? This is not about a piece of pie, is it? And so he was started to let out everything that was on his mind. You know, my job is horrible. I hate this church. You know, we don't have any privacy. You know, I don't think we have a very good marriage, and I don't think I have anything to live for. It took me an hour to get him to put the gun down. I don't remember everything I said to him, but I said, there are lots of people in your life that would miss you if you were gone. All I could think of was blood all over the bedroom and the aftermath that would be if he actually pulled that trigger. And I said, yes, we do have some marriage problems. We do have a tough life, but let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, I do love you and I don't want you to leave me. Maybe we need to leave this church. Maybe we need to step back from ministry. Again, I said a lot of things I don't remember. So I got him to put it down. And we went downstairs, and I was shaking. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. I'd never been through anything like that. And I'll say in our years of marriage, and we had been married a few years at that point, he had never hit me. He he did every other kind of abuse, but he never hit me. Mm -hmm. But make no mistake, threats of violence, either to yourself or to your loved ones, that is abuse. I didn't call 911. I should have. Looking back, I mean, now I know about mental health, but I didn't then. I should have called 911, but I didn't. I called our sending pastor and told him what was going on. And he said, you probably should step down from ministry. He didn't say go get any mental health, mind you. He said, you guys need to step down from the ministry. And I told my husband that. He didn't want to you know, telling anybody what happened in that house, that would mean losing our entire ministry. So we kept going. We kept going. I kept playing the dutiful wife out in public while I was being abused at home. Eventually, we got sick and tired of what was going on at the church. They actually brought in another couple that We didn't know this, but they were taking over our position. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell us until they announced it to the church that these folks were going to be the new youth pastor. Mm. And so we were floored and we decided, okay, it's time to move on and leave. He got a transfer to Arizona, where we live now. We got a transfer with his job to Phoenix, partly because my parents live in Phoenix and we would have family there. So I thought, okay, this might be a fresh start for our marriage. Maybe things will get better. We moved, we bought a house, our first house that we owned, and we, again, started church planting with other people that needed help or wanted to start churches. I was on staff with one of the churches as a secretary to the head pastor. That was a story in itself. The pastor picked me because I had a Bible college degree. You know, we were just lay people at first, and so I was on staff as a secretary. As I mentioned in the beginning about my music, of course, I was in the choir and I was teaching boys. That was really important to me the music. I was doing the solos and part of trios. And so I was using those gifts. but being the secretary to the pastor, I could hear everything that was going on. And I learned some things about the people in the church I did not want to know, did not want to learn, things about the pastor I did not want to know. My husband was asking me about certain people in the church, oh, what's going on with so and so? You must have some inside information. And I would say, nope, nope, don't have any. I can't tell you. Those conversations are private. Somehow, somebody started gossiping that I gave information about people in the church to people that weren't allowed to know about it. That wasn't true. I never betrayed any of those confidences. But the pastor decided to fire me. (laughs) So I was pretty upset. I was pretty miserable at being fired from the church. But, you know, things happen for a reason. And so we started going to another church church. It was already established, but again, they needed help. It was really small. And so again, we were part of the youth ministry and we started doing junior church and Sunday school. And of course, naturally, I was part of the music. I started playing piano for the church. A lot of the abuses went on in that church too. A lot of being the Holy Spirit for people, micromanaging people. I had a job. We both still had our jobs. The pastor expected me to be at everything, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were bus captains, and there were certain times I could not be at church because I was working, Mm -hmm. and he considered the ministry more important than going to the job. There was another church that was opening up in the next town. This preacher came to our church and said he needed help starting a church Mm -hmm. in Fountain Hills which is a very wealthy retirement community. So my husband says, I think we should go over there and help him start a church. And it was just the same thing. This pastor did not even have a Bible college degree. And there were three or four of us and the only thing that he would preach about was salvation. We were all saved, and he would have these hour-long sermons, and then mm-hmm. an extended altar call for people that already professed salvation. Which he was the only one that thought he was truly saved. And I was playing the piano. I was the only one that was willing to do the music, and he was telling me which kind of music that I was allowed to play. Mm-hmm. I came to church in culottes, <laughs> just like a split skirt. After work, I had worked late, and I'm playing the piano in a split skirt for four people, and he reprimanded me for not wearing a dress. Mm. And I understand about dress codes and certain things you should wear to church, but I was modest. Mm-hmm. So all these legalistic rules, and nobody ever came back to church. We would invite people to come to the services. No one would ever come back. Mm-hmm. We went on vacation and we went to a church on vacation. And we said, Wow, this church is really good. <laughs> and we actually got fed because the only sermons we were getting were how to be saved sermons. There was never any <laughs> book studies or yeah. learning anything new or digging into the whole of God's word. Mm-hmm. So we went back home and we told Pastor that we were leaving, mm-hmm. going our own way. And we went back to our previous church. At home, the abuse was still going on. We still had marriage problems. He started his own business, which I was helping him with, and we weren't making a whole lot of money, and so he put the pressure on me to do all of the work, bring home the money. The controlling was still going on. The house wasn't cleaning enough. I didn't put gas in the car. Don't ever get overweight, or I don't think I could be attracted to you anymore. And remember how we first met was that he thought that I should record an album, record some music. Mm -hmm. Well, in the 13 years of being married, that album never happened. And we had music recording equipment in our home. He was actually a producer before we met in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So every year he would asked me, okay, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I would like the album to be completed. And he would say horrible things like, well, who would want to listen to you Mm -hmm. with your voice and your piano? You're not that great. Who do you think you are? You know, I would try out for oratorios. I love Handel's Messiah. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to sing in Handel's Messiah. So I had tried out for the soprano solo in Handel's Messiah in our local community. And I think I did a really good job on the audition. I really, really practiced. And the director said I did a good job, but I didn't get picked for the solo. And I came home and <laughs> he was yeah, I'm glad you didn't get that solo part because you think you're all that in a bag of chips. Mm. And it just really hurt me because music was such an important part of my life and that's how I connect with the Lord and a gift that the Lord gave me. That's the kind of environment that I lived. Yes, he didn't hit me. Yeah. Because they don't talk about abuse in church. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, abuse is, you know, black eyes and broken bones. Yes, that's true. It's black eyes and broken bones. But it's also these other things, financial abuse, controlling what you spend, giving you an allowance, Mm -hmm. cutting off access from your credit card. It's also tearing you down, not giving you any choices, not giving you any freedoms whatsoever. He would not let me visit my sister who lives in France. I've always wanted to go to France because I speak French, took it in school. He would not allow me to get LASIK surgery. I had worn bottle caps my whole life and I wanted to get that surgery. He said, oh, the doctors are going to butcher your eyes. You don't need that surgery. And the whole intimacy factor was still there. I was 110 pounds our whole married life. He said, well, don't ever get fat, even though he was 210 pounds. you know, when I would approach the intimacy factor, you know, let's have a date night or initiate any kind of sex, he would say, well, Diana, you didn't submit to me today, and so you don't get any sex. I had asked some of my friends that were guys that were married, is there something wrong with me? Why doesn't he want to be intimate? Why does he keep making excuses not to be intimate? My friends would say, There's nothing wrong with you, Diana. There's something wrong with him that he does not want to be intimate. That was used as a weapon throughout our entire marriage. And I did not know I was being abused, but I knew something was wrong. I know now what gaslighting is. I know now what narcissism is because he looked really good on the outside. We were spiritual people. We were missionaries. We were serving in the church. But at home, we were living a lie mm-hmm. that something's wrong. And so I said, we need to go to marriage counseling. Would you do that? And I literally dragged him to marriage counseling. Three different counselors over our married life. You know what the counselor said? They said, you must not be submitting to your husband. Mm. If you would just submit to your husband, you wouldn't have any marriage problems. Oh, really? What about these areas over here? Oh, you need to read your Bible more and pray. And so there was probably only one counselor that acknowledged that, yeah, there are some things broken in this marriage that you need to deal with, but my husband would fold his arms, he wouldn't do the homework, he didn't want to be told that he was a sinner, that he was wrong, that he needed to make some changes. And so he stopped going to counseling. I started going into a depression. I'm like, okay, yeah, I still did the church service, and we're still doing the ministry, but I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. I thought, well, God is not even listening to me. I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? I married a Christian. I married somebody that wants to be in the ministry I'm doing all the right things. I waited for marriage to have sex, and I'm doing God's work. Why, God, are you letting me suffer like this? What did I do wrong? And I couldn't understand it. So obviously, he's not listening because I didn't get any answers. You know, the church tells you, you can't get a divorce. You can't get a divorce. And so I felt really stuck. I am stuck in this marriage. I am stuck here. He doesn't want to go to counseling. I don't know what to do. So I went like that for a long time. And it continued to get worse because I'm like walking on eggshells every day, trying not to make him angry, one, trying to make money to pay the bills, do all the ministry stuff. It was nuts. And we came up to our 13th anniversary, and it was miserable. We had this huge fight because we were attempting intimacy and we accidentally banged our heads together, zigged instead of zagged, whatever. And, you know, all of this culmination of marriage problems in the ministry and sexual issues. And, <laughs> and then we banged heads, physically banged heads, and we were both mad and we just gave up for the night. This isn't working. The next day I woke up, I'm like, I cannot do this anymore. I I can't. This is destroying me. And I said to God, I said, you know what? Church says you can't get divorced, but um, I'm getting out of here. You know, I'll take the consequences that you're going to dish out for divorcing. But um, I'm getting out before this destroys me because I, I can't live like this anymore. And I called one of my girlfriends up who I had cried to more than once. And she said, You know what, Diana? I'm sick of you calling me up and telling me about your abusive husband. Just kind of tough love there. <laughs> and I said, I don't know what to do. She's like, You need to get out of there. You need to get out of that abusive environment. I said, Well, I can't. The church won't let me leave. Something I'll never forget. She said, You know, Diana, God is not going to stop loving you because you left your abusive husband. And that day that just hit me upside the head like a sack of bricks. You know what? You're right. God loves me no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I decided the next day I was going to make plans to leave. Mm-hmm. And my husband was doing some traveling back to visit his parents in four months, and I made the plans to leave when he was out of town for two weeks. And had my three friends help me to leave, the only three friends that acknowledged that I was in an abusive relationship and I needed to get out. Mm-hmm. As soon as he found out that I was divorcing him, it was like all of a sudden he wants marriage counseling and all of a sudden he wants to change. And I said, you know, I told you there was going to be a day that marriage counseling was going to be too late. Mm-hmm. And today's that day. I had already moved out. And yeah, I met with our pastor just to humor the pastor. And he seemed to think that we could get back together. And I said, No, I forgive my husband. I don't wish him any evil. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he will ever change, though. I don't think he wants to change. I'm going through with the divorce. I'm sorry. I went through with the divorce and it wasn't easy because I lost everything. I knew this was going to happen. That was probably the other reason why I didn't leave was because I would lose my ministry because you're an outcast if you're divorced. You can't serve in the church. I knew that my friends would take sides and they did. I would have to learn how to live on my own without a husband supporting me. I lost my job right before I moved out and I had to go and live with my best friend. She gave me a place to stay until I got another job and I got my own apartment. And it was really difficult. I should have done it a long time ago, but it was probably the hardest thing that I ever did. Mm -hmm. And it was lonely. But I did find another church that took me in and loved me the way I was. Mm -hmm. Words and all. And started the process of healing and checking off my bucket list of things that I was never allowed to do. Starting over was another bit of suffering because it was the first time I had ever lived by myself. I either always had my parents or my roommates or got married right out of college, so I was alone. Looked for resources for people like me. I didn't think anybody else went through what I did, being in the ministry and going through abuse. I didn't find any resources, so I started my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just I started DSW Ministries, and I started writing music about my experience, and you know, started serving the church again, started reading my Bible again, started praying again. It was a long time before I started praying, mm-hmm. and two years later, I met my now husband, Brian, who also has his own abuse story that he's gone through. Mm-hmm. We started looking for a church that we could serve together, and. The church that we're at now has this ministry called Mending the Soul. Mm -hmm. And it's a small group for people to process their abuse and what they've gone through, all different kinds of abuses. And my pastor's wife told me, hey, I'd like you to join this group. And I was so impressed with this Mending the Soul group that I decided to train to be a facilitator and do my own groups. Mm -hmm. And I did release my music album i did that within six months
0: Mm.
1: i've been to france twice to see my sister (laughs) which was worth the wait and i did get the lasik surgery i wish i had done that 20 years ago Mm -hmm. So my husband's a musician too we're working on our second album it's a album of healing like a concept album and i'm writing some more music and uh, we've been married 12 years and never even had a fight. <laughs> mm. wow. We love yeah. to play music together and serve in our church. You know, I started the podcast in October of 2020, so it's 75 episodes the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, and it's about healing from abuse, yeah, especially in the church. Yeah, I think I, I found my niche, my calling, mm-hmm. and I meet all kinds of wonderful people. But I started the podcast because. I needed to provide more resources for the ladies in my groups. They needed more, especially during the pandemic. And so I started doing the podcast and learned so much. I'm in a really great place with the Lord. He's shown me so much grace and that God isn't just a bunch of rules to follow. He wants a relationship. He wants you to serve Him out of the love of your heart not because you have to, or because somebody told you that you had to. Mm-hmm. That may be in a longer story that you <laughs> that you were looking for. but
0: <laughs> Well, and the impression I get is that there is just so much more story to tell, not just in the stories that weren't told, but even in the story that you did tell. The word that came to my mind as you were sharing was long suffering. Scripture talks about long suffering a lot. This This idea of not just suffering, but it's prolonged, mm-hmm. it's dragged out, it, it just continues and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And so even in what you shared, there is depth to that that you couldn't have gotten into. Because you didn't have the capacity to talk about what it's like when there's weeks of going through this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. what that does internally, and how small things can become triggers that if you tried to explain to someone, they wouldn't understand, but it's because it's in the context of this long suffering. And Mm -hmm. what I think is so valuable about your story is the starting point was you had been going to church most of your life. You decided that you wanted to go to Bible college. You decided that you wanted to go into ministry. Like you wanted to devote your life to serving God. You know, you weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But authentically, that's what you were trying to do. Mm -hmm. And our minds tell us if we try to seek God, if we're trying to do the right thing, then things would generally be good for us. And so how off-putting it could end up being to then find that, Things weren't going well. This person you met in church that went to Bible college with you, suddenly it's not going in that way. And, you know, people can hear elements of your story and start to try to chime in. Well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you realize that? Like you mentioned, you had family members that they believed they were seeing the red flags and you weren't seeing them. But as you noted, You didn't know about gaslighting back then. You didn't know that abuse could actually take more forms than physical. And even if you did know that, other people didn't know that. So you couldn't communicate how words could be as detrimental as a fist. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole part of, even if all of that was in place, you were in a context that told you that you need to keep your vow, you need to submit and you cannot divorce. And so like you said, you're at this place where it's like, Even though I know I'm not happy, even though I know things aren't right, I have no idea what to do. What I love about your story is... I mean, you are taking us through this long suffering journey. Like you are still processing it. I could see it in your face moments where you're reliving the pain of it. Mm -hmm. Moments where you're still trying to make sense of it. I know this is an important part, but I still don't know how it plays into this. And that's where the rabbit trails come in because all of this, it spreads out in these tentacles, (laughs) Mm -hmm. wrapping your life up and you can begin to feel suffocated like there is no way out. But then we get to the last two minutes. This barrage of how God brought things to a completely different place, not just a completely different place, but to abundantly more, multiple albums, your husband and you never having fights, like feeling like you're thriving. And so honestly, like as I've been sitting and listening, the feeling that I get is that there's someone out there that needs to know that they're not alone in the experience of the long suffering type of suffering. The one where there isn't a clear path. There isn't a clear story. There aren't clear answers. It's the sitting and the waiting and the trying to seek God and the God still loving when we're not seeking Him and the slight bit of hope that God isn't done. And this is what I love is that now you are at a place where you're able to be that for others mm-hmm. in a way that you're not forcing them to recognize the red flags. You're not forcing them to solve the problems. Like, you know what it is to long suffer. So now you're able to sit with those who are in the midst of long suffering in a way that others can't. And so as we wrap up, a few questions. So one, let's say you only have a moment with someone who is in the midst of that long suffering. What would you say to that person to let them know that they're not alone?
1: I definitely would say. You are a child of God, and you are valuable. You are loved, and you deserve to be treated with respect and honor. And uh, God doesn't want you to suffer in unnecessary suffering. He didn't cause your abuse. Just take that step towards change to get out of that situation. Ask for help. It's really, really hard to see the forest for the trees, right? When you're in the middle of a horrible situation, a long situation of abuse, it's hard to know anything else. It's hard to know, am I ever going to have a normal life? Am I ever going to be happy? But there is life on the other side of that. I'm on the other side of that chasm of suffering. And it was hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever done to make the decision to get out of that abuse. Mm -hmm. But God will be with you. He is with you. There's this exercise we do in Mending the Soul. We create a timeline of all the major events that have happened in our life. And we look back and we reflect on that timeline. And we see, even though we think that God wasn't there with us, that he was ignoring us, we start to see in that timeline, wow, look, where God protected me there. Look where God brought this person into my life. God gave me comfort in this situation. We can see all of those things. So anybody listening that's going through that suffering, whatever it is, maybe it's not abuse, maybe it's something else. God is there with you. He's going to help you through it, and you're going to come out on the other side, and you're going to be whole again. You're going to have that great relationship with God. Full of grace and truth, not based on man's commandments and legalism. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. And if somebody wanted to connect with you or DSW Ministries, how can they do so?
1: You can find everything you need to know about me on my website, which is dswministries.org. You can find my podcast. You can find my music that I've recorded, some of the new stuff. You can find my mentoring services. If you need help getting out of that situation of abuse, I can set you up with a Manning the Soul group, which is free. Mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Love to connect with you guys. If you need any help, I am here for you help in any way you need.
0: That's great. And then in our last moment, is there any other thing on your heart or mind that you want to share before we close out?
1: My favorite verse is probably Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Hmm. That's one of the songs that I recorded. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. So claim this promise for yourself today. Yeah.
0: But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There was a season where I sat with Psalm 13 a lot. I remember there was one particular song by Shane and Shane where they put this passage to music, and I would just play it and sit in this space, wrestling with this question of how long, O Lord? How long? That question had to live in Diana's mind often. How long, O Lord? Diana was trying to seek God. Diana was trying to live a God-honoring life, and yet she felt stuck. She not only felt hurt and unloved, but she felt like there was no way to experience any other life. And year after year after year after year went by. Long-suffering is hard. Suffering is hard enough on its own, but when you feel like you have to endure it for longer than you expected, longer than you feel like your capacity can allow, that's a deeper level of heart. You hear it in Diana's voice as she continues to still process the pain of those years. But you hear something else in her voice in those last two minutes, that the how long wasn't indefinite, that her patient endurance led to abundantly more, than she could ask or imagine. Now we can ask the question that we often come back to. Why would God allow it to go on that long? Why would God allow her to hurt? And these remain difficult questions. But part of the answer for Diana is that he has given her a ministry that she never could have gotten to on her own. Remember, that was her desire at the start of the story. She wanted to serve God with her life. She wanted to do ministry, but she only had certain ideas of what that would look like primarily church planning. Yet now, she has a unique ministry where she is able to walk alongside others who have faced abuse, alongside others who are long-suffering. She is able to meet them in a place where others might not be able to go. This isn't the ministry she might have chosen, but she wasn't trying to choose a ministry. She was trying to choose God. And God gave her an invitation, a hard one, a long one. But he knew he was after abundantly more than she could ask or imagine. She had already resolved to give her life to God. But it was painful as she recognized what that really meant over those long years of long suffering. However, she knows that that long suffering wasn't for nothing. As hard and long as it was, she knows that God is God and that God is good. And that he has her life in his hands. And that while she gave him her life, he's giving her a full life back in return. Maybe you're still in the midst of the long suffering. Maybe the daily cry of your heart is how long, oh God. But God has not forgotten you. God has not neglected you. What feels like an eternity to you is but a moment in the eternity that God's inviting you into. He knows it is hard, but he is working on something abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. You probably don't feel like you have the capacity to feel peace in what I'm saying. And there's probably a part of you that doesn't know how much longer you can keep on doing this. And I want you to know I hear you. I don't want any platitudes here. What I do want to say is that Scripture is filled with individuals who are seeking God who are invited into these spaces of long suffering. And these are stories that we celebrate today. The psalmist David was one of those. So you're in good company. The invitation for you today is in the midst of the long suffering. Feel free to ask those hard questions of how long, O oh God. Feel free to ask God what's going on. But then if you're able, pause. And look for him because as we've heard over and over and over and over in this series people who have endured suffering have later discovered that god was with them in the midst so take a breath look around and ask yourself where did you see god have you ever wanted to read revelation but haven't known where to start Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should, since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not gonna dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wharedityouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, Or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience, and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?